Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. We are joined today by Hilary Borndahl. She's the founder and CEO of Mix Analytics. And she is going to drop a lot of knowledge today on what it means to maximize your marketing ROI and how you can leverage market mix modeling. Um, honestly, I did a quick pre-interview with Hillary and I was kind of blown away just by your sh- the sheer volume of knowledge that you have in this space. So I'm excited to be able to use it for myself <laughs> as the, the head of marketing here. But thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It's, it's great to be doing this um, chat with you on one of my favorite topics, marketing mix modeling, and also f- full circle because I did previously work with the founders yes. of Dig, and I have a lot of passion for the brand. So it's nice. Oh, to, thank to you. Work yeah, and I um, cornered Hillary basically at a, a conference and was like, "Hey, hey, you, you'd be perfect on the podcast." Um, so thank you so much for for letting me wrangle you uh, into doing this with me. Before we kind of dive into mix and and sort of your approach to marketing mix modeling, can you tell us a little bit about your background in marketing and insights? I know you come from places like Nielsen and Kantar. Yeah, I think for me, it actually started when I was really young that I had a love of math and I also had a passion for art. So when I stumbled upon marketing as a field that would include both, but then as a more focused area of marketing, going into marketing research, I was just like drawn to it right away. So I did a co-op program. I I graduated from Lang School of Business at the University of Guelph. And part of the co-op program was working at Merritt's Thompson Lightstone in marketing research. And I realized, okay, this is what I want to do for my career. And, and then actually when, when I worked after school, I worked at Merritt's and then Hotspecs and eventually found myself working at this company called the modeling group down in Connecticut. And we were running all of the advanced analytics for Procter and Gamble globally. And, um, I literally say this all the time and it sounds so cheesy, but I fell in love with the technique of marketing mix modeling because it was infusing all of this math and data science along with ad ads and creative evaluation into one solution for clients to ultimately help them understand their marketing budget and make smarter decisions mm. going forward. And I've remained in this field. I I always will be in this field because if you find something that you love to do and it never feels like you're working, I just always enjoy every single day studying these brands and advertising. So I feel like it's a lifelong journey for me. That's very, very different from my views on math. Um, so I'm happy we have people like you in the world who are fascinated by how you can sort of leverage that to make it easier to understand marketing ROI. Um, I mean, you sort of touched on what MMM or, um, marketing mix modeling is. Um, but would you mind just giving us a quick rundown, um, 
you know, imagine we're 10 years old and you're explaining it to to a 10-year-old. What does it actually mean? Yes. So a dynamic model, like a Bayesian linear regression model. <laughs> Ooh, big words. Y equals B. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go into <laughs> it. But, so if I'm presenting to my kids and explaining to them, then I say, you know, when you're watching YouTube or you are snatching my phone to go on TikTok and you see these ads for these brands, what mommy's basically doing is helping to analyze was that ad effective for a brand? Did it either help increase brand awareness or consideration? So a brand that maybe you want to have or you know clothes you want to buy for yourself or wear, or did it help actually drive a sale? Like when we're in the grocery store and you see that cereal brand that you love and you remember that you saw the ad on TV or that that brand sponsored Raptors when we watched the game and you're you know, pulling on my arm in the grocery store and saying, hey, I want to buy that. What I'm doing is helping brands know, was that a smart decision? Should they continue to make those investments or should maybe we try to put the dollars somewhere else to reach the objectives? So actually, I, we have this conversation quite a bit with the kids and they love seeing advertising now. So my, oh, my kids cool. love broadcast TV because of the ads. They're like, mom, what do you think <laughs> of this one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so that is a really nice sort of simplified way of of explaining what this sort of art and science is. Can you tell me how you do it? <laughs> because as the as the marketer, I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing and would make my life so much easier. So sort of walk me through a typical engagement. Um, you don't have to talk about who the client is, but what what's a typical engagement look like with a client? Sure. So you have to start with the objectives of the advertising. I mean, media mix modeling or marketing mix modeling, we can evaluate the impact on sales or on revenue. You can also run techniques to evaluate the impact on upper funnel metrics like awareness and consideration. So the first thing in an engagement is understanding what was your objective of the ad campaign or the the ad budget. Now, for most consumer packaged goods brands, Sales is that primary KPI that we want to evaluate and whether marketing was profitable. But if we're considering the B2B space or even an industry like automotive, the impact of advertising to lead to consideration is Mm. hugely important. So maybe the study is designed looking at that way. So we start with the objective and then we have to um, collect all of the data And there's a lot of data out there. So we work with partners across all of the digital platforms. We will work with partners who collect sales data. So whether that is a Nielsen or an IRI or even one of the digital um, e-commerce. This year, we became a partner of Amazon to include Amazon sales data in our models. And so we will have all of that sales data. Then we will get all of the media data. And that would include your traditional television, radio, print, out of home, all of the digital buys, the programmatic buys, but the specific like direct buys on certain platforms. So like TikTok's, you know, become coming up more and more now. We see that in more yeah. brand plans, Snapchat, Pinterest, along with the ones that have been around for over a decade, Google and Meta. And for some clients, there will be Twitter paid investment as well. And we'll collect all of that data. 
And then we have to harmonize it. So it's basically like one of the reasons I wanted to call the company Mix Analytics is because we're mixing up this like big recipe of data and we have to harmonize it so that the data can talk to each other. So if we have unstructured data or structured data, you know, structured data is a big word because each data provider has a different structure. So we actually have to restructure it all so that it can talk to each other. And that's, you know, half the project, more than half the battle is getting the data, getting the right data, checking it and making sure it's accurate. Once you have that data, then the fun begins with the analysis. And we will run multiple models, um, exploring many different techniques to find, you know, a statistically valid product in the end that can help make those um, informed decisions for clients. So how much of your volume overall that will be typically delivered in a pie chart? So what percentage of that overall volume or that overall consideration is attributed back to the investments in each channel versus base sales or base consideration, which is essentially conversion that happened in the absence of any marketing. Okay. Brands that have great brand equity in the market, one of the values of brand equity is base sales that consumers will buy that product without any marketing at all. You know, try to find ads for Honda in Canada right now and slim because Honda's built such yeah. a fantastic brand equity that the cars on the road speak for themselves, that that brand hasn't been investing as heavily as some of the, the other brands that are growing share in the market like Kia, Volkswagen, and others. So um, it's it's really that you know percentage of volume where we start, and then we can drill into that. So the the mascot of Mix is the little succulent, and that's representing all of the layers that we peel back right. to evaluate marketing. And um, the layer of sales is one, but then the return on investment is the, the C-suite question. I invested $10 million in marketing. Am I getting $10 million back? And so if we understand the amount of volume attributed to the marketing, we can then assign a financial value to that. Is it, is it the profitability of that volume or is it the revenue? And divide that simply by the spend and you get your ROI. Okay. Yeah, that's very, very clear. I'm wondering... Um, I'm just wondering, I guess, if there's any learnings that you guys have. So I know you work typically with um, consumer brands, um, mm-hmm. but are there any sort of learnings about different channels um, at different sort of stages of the customer journey that you guys have been able or common pitfalls or, you know, common sort of learnings that someone listening to this could be like, okay, I can take that away and sort of apply it to the way that I'm spending my marketing budget. Why don't we chat about that for each of the main buckets of marketing spend? So let's start with traditional advertising. And first, let's start with B2C, and then we can chat a bit about B2B. So for for B2C, so the business is advertising to consumers and they want to drive sales, then we are seeing that that traditional advertising still has a very important role for most brands. Now, these are generic comments I'm going to make. Every single brand should have its own analysis because it's 
creative, it's household penetration, brand love are, is going to be different. And that's going to guide the, the ultimate you don't, plan. You don't want someone listening to this podcast and then just being like, oh, Hillary told me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. All my money on TV. No. So we have, <laughs> we, we are still seeing the role of traditional advertising. And and when I say traditional, I'm not just talking about TV. I'm talking about TV, radio, out of home and PR. And most of PR now is digital, but PR public relations ha- has been around for, for decades. Okay. So this is still traditional advertising tools. And, and the reason being that they still have mass reach. So if you really want to reach most most consumers and you have a consumer brand that is something that mo- majority of consumers are going to purchase or majority of households have that in the house, so the household penetration is high, then you still want a mass reach vehicle. It's going to get you that awareness the fastest and, you know, and, and help drive sales. So we still see the role of that. And most clients are asking, What's the optimal percentage of traditional versus digital? And that we should look at it on a brand, brand basis. Also depends on the amount of budget you have, because if you have a lower budget, so if this is a lower awareness brand or a growing brand, and we, we have a smaller budget to begin with, then we may not have enough to do the right thing on traditional. And we would advise actually a full digital budget. But in most cases, we are still seeing enough, uh, enough, dollars available to have a traditional buy. So that's, that's, you know, first and foremost. Next is, is digital. Now I've been measuring the impact of digital since in sales, since the early two thousands. So we're talking about like 20 years of analysis on digital. I've noticed CPMs cost per thousand impressions changing and the trends changing by vehicle in each model run, you see these these changes. You also see where it's being purchased. So clients will shift where they're buying programmatically. You know, they might flip their agency every every so many years, and so you see these changes. And the platforms are coming up with different ad tactics. I think Amazon has over ten different ad formats that you can buy. So with all of that change. The important thing with digital is testing each arm of your plan and really understanding the potential it has for your brand to your consumer audience by, by running these tests. And, and what I mean by test is they have a period where you are investing in Pinterest and you have the right campaign, you have the right creative, like for the channel, it should be specific for the channel. And you run it at, at the recommended size that say Pinterest is going to recommend and your AOR advertising agency of record is going to recommend. And then you come back and you evaluate how that performed. Now, I am a huge fan of integrated marketing. That's when we have more than one channel running the campaign. But the problem, the pitfall in marketing mix modeling is if we have all of that marketing happening at the exact same time, the model simply cannot tell us how much volume was attributed to each channel if the data is highly correlated. So for us to really understand which, what digital is working better than others, it's running these series of, of pulse tests across different channels to then be able to come back and understand how effective that was for your brand. And do you would recommend doing them in isolation? 
So like not doing them at the same time when you're doing the experimental phase. Yes. Or in combinations okay. or select markets. You know, you okay. can have True. a campaign running, uh, like an integrated campaign running across the country. And then you can choose certain markets where you're going to experiment and get a read on that and, and kind of rotate it. So if you're in, in, in that strategy, you have to also set up an agile framework to measure it so that okay. you can get to the answer. But yeah, so for traditional, just to recap, traditional, there's still a main, a main role because of its reach potential. And within digital, we are in a stage where we still need to be testing because the assortment of media channels continues to change. We are now going to be seeing uh, ad units available. Well, I don't actually know if they're available anymore, but in Netflix and in Disney. So how are you now going to try to experiment and get into that space and get a read on it where it's not mixed up with everything else in your brand plan? Okay. That's really, really interesting. And then when it comes, so for B2C, that makes sense. Does it change for B2B? Well, for B2B, I think a lot of marketers still have amazing digital tools available where they can be looking at the, in the attribution space. So I know we were going to chat about it a little bit about this big snazzy word, multi-touch attribution <laughs> modeling. <laughs> uh, such a mouthful. And, it's a mouthful. And really that's talking about the individual's journey. So the, the individual buyer's journey in exposure and eventually what was the last click that led to conversion. In B2C, that the data is really expensive for us to have that. You know, you're going to have to pay a lot of money to have a sample of a consumer's digital exposure and purchase habits. But in B2B, there's still a lot of great data in your web analytics that you can rely on for those questions and, and for testing environments. So I would say that there's still a role that that, that can play in the, the higher level aggregate analysis of, of marketing mix for B2B. Uh, the trouble is often the data. I'll have many calls with marketers who want to evaluate the returns, but they haven't been tracking any of their data for a, a set amount of time. And these are a, a regression is a time series analysis. So you right. really want to be going back a couple of years to evaluate that so that you have more data points and more data points means more degrees of freedom in the model and how many of these marketing executions or what we call independent variables, we can actually model. So in a, in a B2B space, we usually have a limited data set to begin with at an aggregate level. And, and then if there's no history of the marketing executions, it's tough. So I think for, for B2B, um, continue to rely on the analytics that you can have in-house and, and through the different sites that you're running your campaigns on, but then start thinking, how can I track from, you know, if I can't go retro, it's fine. But from today onwards, how can we start tracking the right data so that we can evaluate how each channel is performing at an aggregate level? Yeah. And I think that's sort of like, I think we chatted like a year ago and that was sort of the advice that you gave me when it came to mm -hmm. setting up my tracking, because when I joined DIG, it was like a blank slate and, you know, you needed to set everything up from scratch. Um, and 
as you were talking about that for B2B, I was thinking from a B2C perspective, because I know you typically work more with consumer brands. If someone were to be in a position where they're starting to think, I'm sure it's not typically startups that you're working with. It's probably more well-established companies because they're starting to think about like, okay, we have bigger budgets. We really need to get a sense now of, you know, we have bigger teams running campaigns. We really need to get a sense now of where our ROI is coming from. Um, what, what would you recommend for those brands? Um, I'm just thinking like, what do they absolutely need to make sure is, is set up or set in place so that you could, some, you or someone like you could sort of come in or your team could come in and, and make sure that you're sort of accurately calculating that ROI. Yeah. For, for B2B. And I, I recall that conversation we had last year and, and I even think about it in terms of my own marketing budget for mix analytics, like in a, in a way, part of yeah. my role is also CMO of mix analytics. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, how, how am I evaluating the, the investments that I'm making and it's setting up those KPIs at the beginning. So, you know, each of us are investing in, in-person conferences yeah. this year. And, you know, often the KPI is a few conversations like I would like to go to TMRE in San Antonio, Texas in two weeks. And I would like to have two solid conversations for that investment. So, yeah. so I'll be working hard, busy bee, trying to have those two quality conversations that could lead to, you know, a couple of projects. And, and for you, it, you'll have a different KPI, but having alignment with a leadership on what that KPI is and then tracking that. And sometimes it feels exhausting because your ultimate goal is achieving that success, but you also have to have the rigor of tracking activity and the owned channels that we operate as B2B marketers. We can't often get that data later from one of the platforms. We have to track that ourselves. So what what do I mean exactly? Every month, I try to track my LinkedIn followers. I try to track what were the impressions or engagements I received on certain posts. And so that over time, when Mix Analytics hits, you know, two, it's our two-year birthday in January, I'll have two years of data then of that marketing activity I've done. But if I called up my friend Jeff over at LinkedIn and said, hey, can you help me get this data? I'd be like, no way. <laughs> yeah. No, where you you have to get that data yourself. You have to track it, and uh, in in so it is exhausting. It's manual. Same thing with Meta. It you know for for any of us who have a an, an Instagram you know business page for stories and and for posts, like it it's great. It's an additional channel, but only the paid data for at a sizable level is available from their analytics teams to pull retro. For those of us doing B2B, we have to collect that data um, you know, in, in a timely fashion. Otherwise you forget. You and can you of and course. I each remember what we posted in March of this year? No. No, absolutely not. <laughs> well it was International Women's Day, so I do remember that. But <laughs> Okay. Fair. Fair. That's a highlight. Um yeah, no, that that's a very, very good point. I think with B2C I'm also just wondering from a tracking perspective, is there more to track? Like are 
in terms of the different channels that are being used. I feel like my team would probably kill me if I was like, yeah, we're, we're still missing data. Cause in one client's um, case for a model we're running right now, we have 96 independent variables, meaning wow. 96 different marketing tactics and campaigns were worse sub campaigns. Like I can't, uh, creative within a campaign were run over three years to support a brand. That's a lot of data to analyze. That's so a lot I, of data. I feel like for B2C, we have a solid learning and, and maybe more of the, a pitfall that I'm concerned about in that space is when some media mix models are run and they are in absence of enough data, they're being run on a small sample of data and not the full story. And that can lead to inaccurate conclusions or even running it with the right data sets, but on a limited market scope, like national Canada, well, or full US without the geos. We know that marketing is different and that consumers are different state by state or province by province. So we should be at this point in 2022, we should be running models with geogranularity. The data, digital data providers can give us all of the impressions and spend for, for B to C at that level. And the sales data is available at that level. So why wouldn't we be running the studies with granular data? For, for B2B, it's a, it's a different story. It's that we're still in this infant stage of having yeah. data and collecting the data because it often just becomes this other element in a brand manager's you know, job or they, they just don't get to that item in their inbox. Yeah. And with the, um, with that was such a good tidbit of advice. Is there anything else that you would say to someone who's maybe already running like something like marketing mix modeling, like maybe a consumer brand who's already running this, um, any other watch outs that you could tell the listeners about? I don't know if it's if it's necessarily a watch out or more like an area that I'm really excited about right now mm. is that as the model softwares have improved over time and we've become smarter as a group of data scientists to run these models that we're now running studies at an item level. And so not just the total brand, like if we Imagine like a matrix and you have all of your provinces and columns and then you have all of your your UPCs or your items rolling up to total. We can run these models at such a detailed level to then get the insights as to what what is contributing to the overall profitability. And okay. you know, it's have to replace like an assortment analysis, which is going to tell a brand which items they should have in the portfolio or which ones should have shelf facings and not. But it does tell us like of that marketing campaign, what were the items or the sub brands that really um, provided the returns? And, you know, some of our clients that have seasonal items, if they were running a certain platform buy on digital or a, a campaign at a certain seasonal period, and a lot of it was coming from the seasonal volume, well, if they, if they decided in the future to run a forecast and say, I'm going to do that same campaign, but this time I want to run it in a different season. Well, you won't get the same return because that profitable seasonal item is no longer available on right. the shelf. So it's, it's actually like advising in a, in a smarter way, like a more precise um, plan for the next year, considering all of those item rotations. And like you guys at Dig or Cons and Upside are constantly looking at innovations. 
Yeah. And clients want to launch innovations. Well, why wouldn't you want to know how effective the marketing is on the innovations versus the rest of the business? And the way we can do that is by having these models run at the item level. So uh, I'm super excited, but I don't know if you can hear the passion coming out of this. <laughs> But yes, for anyone who's not actually watching the video of this and who's just listening to the recording, Hillary, as soon as she started talking about this, went right into the screen. She got right up close. She was very excited. Um, but th- that is incredibly cool. And that's exactly why I was thinking. Um, that's the exact use case I was thinking about. You know, what we do here is we help clients develop innovations often with product innovation. So the idea that you could run any of this analysis at an item level would be so helpful um, for that ROI piece. You know, we can track sort of um, a lot of things post-launch, but that business of sort of tracking the ROI, that's something that um, obviously you guys excel at. And I think being able to do that at an item level is, is really, really cool. I didn't realize that you could do that. So very exciting. It's, it's so cool. And, you know, a lot of brands um, have that general question, like, what's the impact of master brand or multi-brand advertising versus if I have a hero item in my in my right. It answers that question too, which is this age-old direct versus halo. Like, what was the direct impact of this creative supporting this direct innovation? What was the halo to the rest of the items? Or if I have master brand... Um, it would be in theory direct on everything, but is it, is it actually driving volume on every item? So this, yeah, the, this detailed model is, is super exciting for me and it. And then when I see the results of it, um, it really makes me never want to go back to modeling at a total brand level ever again. So that's something oh, wow. that I'm going right now. I don't ever want to model total brand um, for. Wait, explain more, <laughs> explain more to me. Why? Because the because the results the, the it gets all lost. It's it's uh, Nielsen taught me the term aggregate data bias. That when you look at data in aggregate, it's missing all of the granularity. Can be mm. hiding these trends that are within you know the item or the sub brand level. Um. So, yeah, I I promise it right here. Never going back to total brand models. <laughs> Love it. That's that'll be the title of the episode. No more total brand levels. Love it. Yes. Never going back. Um, <laughs> I'm conscious of time. I want to dive in a little bit to the fact that, you know, we are moving into a cookie-less world. And I want to get your two cents on what that means for how your company or how you sort of think about attribution. Mm-hmm. So like I've, I have said it, it's it's tough in... It has been tough in Canada, very expensive to run attribution modeling for B2C, you know, because of the cost of data, but also privacy laws. Um, So there is a resurgence of interest in MMM, you know, even before going cookie-less, just frankly, because MTA, multi-touch attribution is way too hard in this market. But but definitely cookie-less is contributing to that. And I think we just have to do it smarter and better than it was done before for any brands who have maybe navigated away from MMM and are coming back. Um, it's where, where I challenge you to really think through how to get the granularity that we can now versus, you know, going so granular down to the individual consumer journey level, but actually to that, you know, 
you know, population base, like some of the, the amazing Amazon data is available at an FSA level. So that's three digit postal code level. So, you know, pretty good geo-targeting beyond like total province. Right. Uh, so at that level and understanding the trends, you know, just so you're not going so deep. Um, and, and that's really going to be going to be the space and and why I felt like it was a good time to launch a business in MMM because I know that the question just keeps coming up more and more, but clients are looking to do more with less always. Um, and you know, in do more in less time. (laughs) So yes, where can we be agile and be affordable to answer maybe more questions relying on the machine learning that we've built over time in these models and, and, and so you can answer more questions like the item level um, or in, in an agile framework, it basically means setting up your model and being able to run it, say, every month, every quarter, you know, maybe every six months, definitely annually. You know, years okay. ago, I used to tell clients in Canada, it was, it was okay to run a model every two years. Uh, I think since we're still living in this post-pandemic time and we're seeing continued pressure on supply chains, the, you know, inflation, interest rates, that the consumers purchasing power and consumer decisions are still going to be shifting across industries over the next couple of years. So I'd be very wary to use results from two years ago to project into the future. I would say at a minimum, be looking to run these, this analysis annually on your brands. Okay. This has been fascinating. Thank you, Hillary. Um, we've got a couple rapid fire questions to close out. Um, so first question, if you gained double your budget tomorrow, what would you spend it on? Okay. So for me, as with my CMO hat, MX, I would spend it on more in-person conferences. Very cool. And what if you lost half your budget? What would you spend it on? It. Sorry, what would you, what would have to go? Not what would you spend it on? It's so tough. It's like holiday gifts or in-person conferences. I think I would cut the in-person conferences and I would keep the holiday gifts. Okay. Holiday gifts for your clients. Yeah. I'm way too attached to things like our little, uh, our little Lego kits and stuff. Oh, cute. (laughs) Coming out soon. Very exciting. And then finally, Um, Just to close out, is there any, you've given a lot of advice today, really useful tactical advice, but is there anything else you wanted to leave the listeners with? Test, 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 test. Don't be afraid to test (laughs) and test smartly because like I mentioned with the, the correlations, which means basically marketing all happening at the same time with the same campaign across many channels. You know, that's a fantastic, sounds like a fantastic integrated marketing campaign. Great. But we're not going to really be able to test the the impact. So you have to set this marketing up smartly considering how the math will run. And if you're not sure of it, then just call somebody like me as an MMM expert and we can sit down and talk about how to build that brand campaign so that it can be measured. Because okay. you just don't want to miss the opportunity of understanding the ROI in, in new channels and with new investments. And, you know, the we're not sure still the impact of campaigns on TikTok for, for brands over time. So things like 
the ad stock impact, which is if you execute a campaign today, what's the decay rate? Like how many weeks later will it still drive us a potential sale or build awareness and consideration? We need more time um, evaluating increases and in, in like what's the saturation level? What how high is too high to be investing in a channel? And there's been great learning on Google and Meta over in, in Snapchat, because we've been modeling that data for like decades, but a lot of brands are just getting into TikTok. So you want to be right. evaluating, you know, that detail, detailed result with your MMM provider as well, so that you don't either overspend in a specific week or underspend and be, be below the threshold where you're really not getting any impact at all. What a way to end. Thank you, Hillary. You're a legend. I will chat to you soon. This was great. Thank you so much for the opportunity and, and having the discussion and listening to me nerd out on all of my MMM thoughts. <laughs> it was awesome. I'll talk to you very soon. Hey, take care. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights. And don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.